Man, thank you to the worship team. That was amazing. Thank y'all so much for that. Um, man, so much I want to say today. I'm gonna to try to I'm gonna to try to rein it in as much as the Holy Spirit will let me. Um, I do I do want to say this that um, and when I sent that song to Leah this week, it was not with the intention of her doing it, but uh, God had just I. I I don't know if y'all heard that song before, but I ran across it on, I don't know, social media or something. But anyway, it just, and a couple of people came to mind, pointing at you, Mickey. Um, and I've just been singing that all week over you guys. And, and it's no accident that God's got us focused on prayer. And today we're going to look at James chapter 3, uh, and we're going to talk about our words. Um, and that is no, no accident. I, I do want to say, I want to preface this. Typically, you, you guys, as we move through a book, I'll just do two or three verses at a time. Last week, we covered a big chunk, and we're going to cover a big chunk today as well. I mentioned this last week that James, in his teaching, when he's writing, he often will give you a, a, a point of truth, and then he's going to illustrate that. And that's going to be the same today. So we're going to cover uh, verses 1 through 12 today, uh, which is not like me. Typically, I like to move a little slower, but I felt, and I kind of struggled with that this week on how far we should go, but I felt like if we stopped in the middle of those 12 verses, it was going to be like, you know, jumping off a cliff and then going, oh, wait, hold on, <laughs> you know, let me get back up, up there. So today we're going we're gonna to move forward in chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. And I want to remind us again, we're learning about true faith. We're learning that true faith never stops growing and it always reveals itself. It's revealed to the world around us as it's growing in us. Last week we finished up chapter 2 in James and and it's a famous section about faith and works. And we talked about last week how often people try to pit James against Paul and say that they're saying different things. But we, we discovered last week that that's absolutely not the case. We covered a lot of ground. And so if you missed last week's message, I'd encourage you to go listen to the podcast and, and kind of get caught up on that. But in short, we saw that both James and Paul agree that we're saved by faith alone. There's no question. Scripture is very clear about that. It's our faith in Jesus his life, his death, and his resurrection that brings us to the point of salvation. And Leah, thank you for, for sharing that message this morning with our kids. Um, so faith alone justifies, but the faith that justifies is never alone. Remember, we talked about this last week. It's faith alone that justifies, but faith that justifies is never alone. It never exists without love and good works. James and Paul both agree that if we really believe that Jesus is who he says he is, and if he did what Scripture says that he has done, that knowledge is going to bring about love and good works in our lives. If we understand the truth of the gospel, it's going to change who we are on the inside, which therefore is going to change the way we respond to the world on the outside. The things that you do in obedience to Jesus reveal your faith and God's glory to the world. Jesus said it, and Matthew records it in his gospel. I want you to see this, Matthew chapter 5, verse 16. Jesus says, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to the Father in heaven. So we saw last week that there's a huge connection between our faith, our understanding, our love for God, and how the outflowing of that reveals the truth about who God is to the world around us. And we can say with confidence that if love and good works don't accompany what you're calling faith, it's not faith. Love and good works are the fruit that is produced as we abide in the vine. We're going to hit that again at the end of the message. It's the result of the sanctification that comes only through a relationship with Jesus. So as we're talking about faith, as we're talking about good, word, good works, and today as we talk about the things that we say, I want us to understand that all of that is the result of our abiding relationship with Christ. It's not something that we can conjure up on our own. 
When we give our lives to Christ, Scripture says that we become a new creation. Paul said this in, in his letter to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. He said, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and see, the new has come. That means, church, that our activity has the potential to change if, it's a big if, if you and I are intentional in seeking God's direction and then obeying what, it say, what he says. In fact, if you go back and look at the broader context of what Paul is saying to the church in Corinth, not only are we new creations, but we are ambassadors for Christ. And you're going to see the connection here in just a minute, but look at this with me. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 through 21. Paul says, for the love of Christ compels us. Okay, and I want to pause there. It's the love of Christ that compels us, not because the preacher said so, not because you ought to, not because you should. The love of Christ compels us since we have reached this conclusion that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all so that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for the one who died for them and was raised. From now on then, we do not know anyone from a worldly perspective. Even if we've known Christ from a worldly perspective, yet now we no longer know him in that way. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away and see the new has come. Everything is from God who was reconciled, who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he was, has committed the message of reconciliation to us. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ since God is making his appeal through us. We plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God has reconciled us to himself. That's what Paul is saying. We've talked about that for years here. That our story is a story of redemption. That since Adam and Eve chose to sin in the garden and humanity was separated from God, God's goal and his work in Jesus was to reconcile us back to himself, to restore that relationship. The message that we were separated from God by sin, that was the message. But Jesus, who knew no sin, took that burden of sin upon himself. This is what Leah was explaining to the kids this morning. That we are all sinful and in need of a Savior. And Christ has done that for us. Responding in love because of the love that was lavished upon us. We are to be ambassadors of Christ. Because Christ loved us so much that we ought to in return love Him and love the people around us. We share His love and redeeming work with the world. It is our testimony to stand here in the front and to say, I was in need of redemption and Jesus redeemed me. God put this passage in front of me this weekend and it's such a good transitional thought for us as we move from thinking about our faith and works and now into our words. There's been a little theme happening this morning that I, didn't was, I was not aware that was going to happen, but we've been talking, Leah talked a lot this morning about the name of Jesus and us praying over one another. What we're going to see today is that our words hold within them a great power, either for destruction or for healing. And it's our intention behind those words that makes the difference. 
The only way the world can understand what Jesus has done for them is by us telling them, right? That's the role of an ambassador is to represent the person that he is an ambassador for, right? We have ambassadors in other countries. We understand how this works. There are United States ambassadors that live and work in other countries who are there to speak on behalf of the country that they are representing. That is our role as believers, as followers of Jesus, is to represent God to a world that does not know him. And we must use our tongues to convey the greatness of what Jesus has done, which leads us to James's word on how we use our tongues. Look with me at, at the first couple of verses in James chapter 3. We're going to start with verses 1 through 2. James says this, Not many should become teachers, my brothers, because you know that we will receive a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is mature, able also to control his whole body. And we've had a conversation recently about the fact that we are all called to be disciple makers, right? Does everybody remember that? And by disciple makers, that makes you a teacher. We're called by Christ to teach others all that we have learned so that they can know Christ for themselves. This directive comes from the Great Commission. We looked at that three or four weeks ago. With that knowledge that we are called to be disciple makers, that we are called to teach people the things that we know of Christ by our own experience, this passage ought to kind of set us on our heels a bit. We should feel the weight of what James is saying. In my studying this week, I ran across a sermon by a guy, a guy named uh, St. Augustine. And he wrote this sermon sometime between 393 and 396 A.D. Okay, so a lot closer to Jesus' time in the early church than we, than we are today. He said this, he said, If we have faith, we have been greatly... We, have been greatly alarmed by the section of the Holy Gospel to which we have just listened while it was being read. But it occasioned no fear in those who have no faith. Unlike the prophet who transmitted to the community revelations received from the Lord, the teacher had the task of expounding the truth of the Gospel on the basis of the growing Christian tradition. And in that message he references 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 2, where Paul is telling Timothy to do exactly what we're talking about. Paul says to Timothy, You have heard me teach these things that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. Now, teach these truths to other trustworthy people who will be able to pass them on to others. Let me tell you what Paul's saying. Paul's saying, I have heard from reliable witnesses. I have heard from the disciples about the things that Jesus said and the things that he has done. And that is what I have taught. And now, Timothy, those things that I have taught to you, that I've heard from these reliable witnesses, I want you to now go and teach those things to other people. Church, that's our role. That thing that Paul is saying to Timothy, he is also saying to you and I, that our job as followers of Christ is to take the things that we have been taught by reliable witnesses, to take that message to people who have not yet heard it. And to teach it in such a way that they can understand the truth of the gospel. We are all given that same instruction. Not just the pastors, not just the elders, not just the life group leaders. This is for all followers of Christ that we are called to teach the gospel. Now, I know what you may be thinking is, well, I'm, I'm not a teacher. Wrong. You are called to be one. 
And, and the responsibilities of a teacher are tremendous, and that's probably why you respond that way in your spirit, is you say, I don't want to be responsible for teaching someone the truth of the gospel, because I don't feel like I'm prepared for that. I don't think it's groundbreaking information for us that teachers have a tremendous responsibility, especially if you work in the teaching profession. Amen? It's a big deal. Teachers have the responsibility of communicating the materials that they are given to the degree that the pupil, the student, can retain that information and then put it into practice. One of my favorite teachers of all time has got to be Talitha Watley. Not just because she's fun, and she definitely is. We had a lot of fun in her classes. But because her classes, in her, in her class, her goal was not for her students to be able to regurgitate information on a test. Because raise your hand if you study that way. You study it and remember it just long enough that you can put it back on the paper. Yep, and then it's gone. Okay, that was Will. That sometimes still is Will. Her teaching method was that we're going to learn this in such a way that you can, on the test, explain the concept and how to apply it to your context. And I loved it. I absolutely loved it. She wanted to know, could we apply this information to your life right now? She taught a lot of classes, particularly in religious education. And at that time, I was a youth pastor. And so it was so much fun because we would learn something in class on a Tuesday, and I could implement that thing I just learned on Wednesday right? And it was amazing because she would take this knucklehead youth pastor named Will Butterfield and teach me something really cool. And then I look like the hero on Wednesday when I got to use that stuff that she's been teaching me. And I'll be honest, it almost felt like I was cheating because I would learn this incredible information and then I got to put it in practice. While I was taking specialized classes on a specialized ministry area, the concept is the same for you and your life and the people that you are supposed to be discipling. God has placed people in your life who need the wisdom that you have gained as you have walked through life with God. Let me say that again. I'm going to say it in a different way. God has placed people in your life who need to hear the things that you have learned about God as you have walked through the difficulties of life. Teachers of all kinds go to school and they learn how to teach a subject or a demographic. And that specialized training prepares them to teach the subject matter that they are, that they are supposed to teach. And listen, I don't want to downplay the time and the effort that goes into that. Teachers are incredible. But I am asking you to consider the experiences that you've had in life and what they've cost you. Sometimes life is difficult and the cost is high of being obedient to Christ. Consider how God has grouped some of the people around yourself. And make no mistake, it's not by accident. As I was thinking through this this week, I was thinking about Mickey and Bethany who have these immune diseases that are not exactly the same, but they are so closely related, it's not even funny. And as they have both gone through these struggles in life, God has them together so that they can have a sense of community, that they can be there for one another in a way that no one else ever could, right? They understand the struggles to a deeper level than you or I who don't have that disease could ever understand. And God has done that intentionally. He puts people around us that need to hear the things that we've experienced. That's why this time on Sunday morning, I appreciate Mike sharing his testimony this morning. That's why that's so important. That's why it's so important that, that we have the courage to speak when God says to speak because there are people who need to hear those things. 
God gives us opportunities to share our experiences with people who need to hear how God has worked in our lives. This is an incredible honor and responsibility to have. We must therefore be careful, church, to what we say and how we say it. We are his ambassadors. We are those, we are the people that are called to help the people who don't know Christ to understand who he is, how he loves, how he interacts with others. We have to be careful because it's easy for us to say hurtful things rather than helpful things. And I would venture to say that often that's not our intent. I can't tell you how many times I have said something with the intent of being encouraging and it being received in the opposite way. And that causes struggle. You remember in James, what he said in chapter 1 verse 19, where we are to be quick to listen and slow to speak? Church, when it comes to being an ambassador for Christ, that needs to be our motto. Be quick to listen and slow to speak. There's going to be many opportunities for you to speak life into other people's lives. Take the time you need to listen and then rely on the Holy Spirit to speak through you. Because the things that we have experienced in our lives through Christ, God wants to use that. But we don't need to be flippant about it. We need to be intentional and say to, to the Lord, God, I, there's the, this moment that is happening. You can pray this in your head as the conversation's happening. God, I'm feeling that nudge that Mike was talking about a while ago. Give me the right words. Because even by saying very little, we, have, we can have a powerful impact on people's lives. Look what James goes on to say in verse 3 through 6. He says, now if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we direct their whole bodies. And consider ships, though very large and driven by fierce winds, they are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So too, though the tongue is a small part of the body, it boasts great things. Consider how small fire sets ablaze a large forest. And the tongue is a fire. The tongue, a world of unrighteousness, is placed among our members. It stains the whole body, sets the course of life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. James gives these examples of these small members, as he calls them, and how much control they have over things that are much larger than they are. He's making this comparison between them and the power that comes from some of the more minor parts of the body. The greatest danger we face, church, comes from within. In terms of how we speak about who God is. There are many things that can trip us up, but in our, in our, it's in our own hearts often that causes us the most trouble. As we've talked about here before, we are all in the process of being sanctified, right? We give our lives to Christ. He forgives us, but we are still broken people living in broken bodies. And one day we will have a new body, but until that day comes, we're still dealing with the one we got. And so through the course of our lives, God is constantly sanctifying us. He's making us into those new creations. What we say, and equally as important how we say it, has the power to bring life or to bring brokenness. I'm sure that all of us in this room can think of a time when someone said something that completely cut us down, that, that cut us to the core. And that thing still lingers in the back of our mind. It pops his head out from time to time. We don't have to think hard to remember when we've been hurt by words. You know the old adage, sticks and stones break my bones, but words will never hurt me, right? That's a lie. 
absolute lie. I don't know why they've ever said that to kids because it's not true. Words certainly can hurt. And we talked about this when we were in chapter one and the kids video talked about a few weeks ago. Our words can inflict significant damage on someone else. You know, we, I talked about in chapter one how God used words to speak things into being. And we are made in God's image. And while I cannot speak something into being like he can, my words also have power. They have the power to heal as the Holy Spirit works. Or they have the power to destroy if I choose to do that. I'll, I'll tell you a quick story. Um, this week, Saley called me. It was late at night. She was having trouble. I'm not going to say too much. But I prayed for her. And I prayed specifically for peace. And when, we, when I said amen, she's like, wow, you weren't kidding. That happened in the moment. And I was like, well, that's what I asked for. But that, that's not me. I didn't do that. I don't have the power to do that. The Holy Spirit does. The words that we choose to use are significant. And the intention, the heart behind what we say is significant. We've all felt the effect of someone who has no regard for what they say. And I want to be clear, I'm not just talking about the things we say, but the way that we say them as well. For example, okay, for years, Bethany asked and pleaded for me to warn people that I have a dry sense of humor. Okay? Pleaded. Please tell them. Because I really like awkward moments. Really like them. They're hilarious. Look at some of y'all chuckling. Y'all like them too? Okay? I like awkward. It's fun. It's entertaining to make someone else feel awkward. You know what the problem with that is? Let me say this. Jesus loves a good joke. Okay? I'm telling you. Because we have senses of humor. We're made in his image. God likes funny stuff. Okay? I like awkward. But the problem is, is that Jesus never made people feel awkward. Did he? He brought comfort. He made them feel loved. I have the ability within me to make things real awkward real fast. And I like it. And that's a little bit sinful. And so that's something that I've had to ask Jesus to correct in me. And, and look, I, I grew up in that, right? Like I learned that from somebody, correct? And, and because I live in a family that loves sarcasm, I can be sarcastic with the best of them. The problem is, is that that's not real representative of who Jesus is. And so I've got to ask God to work in my heart to change the things that I have grown up enjoying and to get them out of me. The way we interact with others is a representation of Christ. We can't blame other people or make, make fun of them or, or say things at their expense. We can't blame, like I can't blame that on my family, right? Right? Because who, who am I accountable for? Me, right? I, that's something that God has to do in me. We have to think beyond what we think is normal or what makes us comfortable. And we've got to put ourselves in other people's shoes. In church, that's a hard thing to do sometimes. But as we are spending time with other people, we need to be thinking about how they are going to receive the things that we're going to say. How is the tone in which I'm saying this going to be received by this person? And understand that their life experiences may be very different from yours. And that's going to make an impact on how they receive what you say. 
That's a big task, right? I can't think that quickly and that fastly. That, so I have to rely on the Holy Spirit to do that for me. If I'm going into a meeting with somebody whom I don't know well, I'm 100% relying on the Holy Spirit. Or if I know them really well and I already think I know what they need to hear, that's a clue for me that I really need to rely on the Holy Spirit because I don't want it to be Will's wisdom. I want it to be God's. I would also add that changing our hearts, making them more like Christ, we know this, it's not something we can do on our own. If we could, it already been done, right? This new creation that we are becoming can only be done by Jesus. James goes on to say this in verse 7. He says, every kind of animal, bird, reptile, and fish is tamed and has been tamed by humankind, but no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in God's likeness. Blessing and cursing come out of the same mouth. My brothers and sisters, these things should not be this way. Does a spring pour out sweet and bitter water from the same opening? Can a fig tree produce olives? My brothers and sisters, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a saltwater spring yield fresh water. When people are, are, were saying things that weren't kind, my grandpa used to have a saying. He'd say, you kiss your mama with that, own, with, that, with that same mouth? And I never really understood that until I was an adult. I was like, what is, he, what is he talking about? James is pointing out that if we are living in our own power and we're followers of Jesus, we are not being good ambassadors because the things that come out of us don't always represent who God is. As teachers and ambassadors of Christ, our words and attitudes must match that of Jesus or we're preaching a false gospel. Do we understand that? That if we are an ambassador who does not represent God, then we're not an ambassador for God. That's our only job, is to represent Him well. And taming our hearts is a God-sized task, right? James isn't pulling any punches on this one. We can't do this on our own. We have to rely on God to work in our hearts so that what flows out of us is pure and holy. In the same way that a rider controls a horse or a captain controls a ship, we need the Holy Spirit to guide us, to control us. James gives us a detailed list of what happens when we don't let the Holy Spirit work in us. And he closes the section by saying it should not be this way. He says that in verse 10. Blessing and cursing come out of the same mouth. My brothers and sisters, these things should not be this way. I want you to keep in mind how we started this section. We are Christ ambassadors, and what we say reflects the person that we are representing. We cannot say that we are followers of Christ and then talk like children of hell. Okay, and I know that's strong language, but it's the ones that Jesus used. Remember when he was given the woes of the Pharisees? Matthew 23, verse 15, he said, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You travel all over the land and sea and make one convert, and then when it becomes one, you make him twice as much a child of hell as you are. When our hearts aren't centered on Jesus, this is what happens. When we call ourselves followers of Christ, and then we follow our own desires, but we're still calling ourselves followers of Christ, we are teaching people something about God that is not true. We don't want to lump ourselves in with the likes of the Pharisees, right? That doesn't feel good. That feels a little cringy to lump ourselves in there. But if we say that we are followers of Jesus and yet we don't consider what we are saying and how we're saying it, we're just like them. We're making our lives about ourselves. We are misrepresenting God's with our word and with our actions. 
if we are people of faith, following Jesus and letting the Holy Spirit guide us, then our words and attitudes will reflect his words and attitude. James addresses this issue so fiercely and it gives so many illustrations because there's no room for us to get this wrong. We are the way in which God has chosen to reveal himself. He's laid an incredible responsibility upon our shoulders for us to teach the things that we know of God by experience to people in such a way that they can take those things and apply them to their life, that they can have their own experiences with God in that way. Church, if we're trying to bear that burden in our own strength, it's going to crush us. We will falter and the people around us will not understand the truth of who God is. They will see our failures and they're going to equate that with God. We're not asked to do this in our own power. In fact, Jesus tells us not to even try because it's impossible. This is a scripture that we've, we've referenced a lot over the history of our church. But John chapter 15 verse 5, he says, I am the, the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. If we are not connected to the vine, it is impossible for us to produce fruit. It's only in staying connected to the vine that the world can know who God is. From that, that passage that we read at the beginning from Matthew chapter 5, where he says, In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to the Father in heaven. Those good works that Jesus is talking about is the fruit that is produced as we stay connected to the vine. That is how the world comes to know the truth of God is through you and I, through the words that we say and through the good works that we do. For generations, the world has experienced the inconsistency that comes from unconnected people teaching in their own power. And I can't speak for you, but I don't want to be in that group. I want people to know God, to really know him, and the only way that can happen is if, for the people in my life, is if I stay connected to the vine. Our faith is going to grow as we abide. As we're connected, we're going to grow. We're going to produce fruit, or the Holy Spirit's going to produce it through us. And people are going to get to see God for who he is. We're going to get to have conversations. We're going to get to have moments with people that we would not otherwise not get to have. Well, they're going to ask us questions and say, tell me about this part of your life because it doesn't make sense to me. I don't understand how you can be this way, how you can have this much joy, how you can have this much peace. And that's the opening for you to say, let me tell you how. It's not because of me, it's because of who lives in me. Our true faith will teach the world about the love of Jesus, but only if we continue to abide if we stay connected to the vine and let him produce the fruit through us. The world's going to see our good works and they're going to give glory to the Father in heaven and they're going to fall in love with the Savior of the world, the one that we know so well. Let's pray. Father, it's so challenging to think about the fact that all that responsibility lies on us. God, I ask that as we ponder that today, as we think about the role that you have called us to play as your ambassadors, Father, that you would not have us get all knotted up in the stomach out of fear and anxiety, but Father, that you would give us peace knowing that it doesn't rely on us, on our abilities and our power, but on yours. God, as we interact with the people that you've placed in our lives this week, Father, I ask 
that you would allow us, give us the strength to represent you well. Father, I pray that in the mornings as we get up, as we're preparing for our day, that we would take some time to be connected to the vine, to have some conversations with you, to pray over one another. Father, that we would get to see the world the way that you see it, that we would be compelled by love, and that the world would experience that love as it flows out of us. Father, we ask this not for our own sake, but for the sake of this world. And we ask it in your name.